Hello, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Jenny Hamill, education reporter and producer for IdeaStream. It is August 12th and you are with a virtual City Club forum. So one of the biggest questions dominating the news media and the public sphere over the past few weeks last month is how and when to reopen schools safely. As the U.S. surpasses 5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19, the lack of a nationwide plan or federal guidelines for how to approach the new school year has left many districts in our state in a state of uncertainty. Here in Ohio in late July, three of the state's biggest urban school districts announced an all-virtual start to the school year. A few days later, the Cuyahoga County Board of Health advised districts in the county begin their school year operating remotely due to the elevated health risk posed to students, staff, teachers, and it also recommended schools discontinue extracurriculars such as sports, band, theater, and choir during that remote learning period. So how are school superintendents using these recommendations to inform their decision-making on whether or not to reopen schools? What are their plans to keep students and staff safe and healthy while also fostering an environment conducive to learning? So beyond these points, should we be reimagining the idea of school during this time of COVID-19? I'm hoping that we can get these questions and more answered over the next hour. And joining me for this conversation, we have Joelle Magyar. She's superintendent for Brexville Broadview Heights City School District. Dr. Henry Pettigrew is superintendent and CEO of East Cleveland City Schools. And Catherine Powers is superintendent of Twinsburg City School District. Welcome to all of you. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Before we get to the conversation, I want to thank the City Club's generous members, sponsors, and donor donors who donated to this forum. For a full list, visit cityclub.org forward slash thank you. You can join them in supporting their work by making a contribution or becoming a member at cityclub.org. And as with every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Text them to 330 541 5794. You see it on your screen. That's area code 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. We will work them in. And now let's begin. So, Joelle, I'd like to begin with you. I know that your district recently switched gears and changed the model it will be using as the students return to school in the fall. So, tell me ultimately uh, what model you'll be adopting and what was the rationale behind this switch? So our, our district, um, we were planning to go all in uh, and then when the governor in the Cuyahoga County Board of Health made the um, suggestion that we start remotely, we had a conversation with our board and it was determined that we were going to go back in a hybrid model. We also aligned our plan to the color coding system of the heat map from the state uh, to determine when we could be back in session or how we can change our learning platform. And so in our current model, if the county was in purple, we would be all remote. In red, we would be a hybrid model. And in orange and yellow, we would be back in person. Uh, our board, re as recently as last week, decided that since we are starting in a hybrid model, that they wanted to keep that model, regardless if the county changed to a different color other than purple, um, to keep to give some consistencies to our families to say that we're going to be in a hybrid model for the first nine weeks of school. 
in addition to that, as part of our school calendar for the next year, we implemented a mandatory remote period between the Thanksgiving break and the holiday break. And the idea was to be proactive. We looked at our data in terms of when students and staff were out ill, and most of our students and staff are out ill between that time. And so in a proactive approach, we decided to put a mandatory remote learning um, timeframe in our calendar so that we could then deep clean the buildings again, keep people at home and keep them from getting the flu, COVID, any, any other uh, communicable disease that might be going around at that time. So because of that three week, uh, mandatory remote period in our calendar, uh, the, the board felt it made sense to keep us in the same model up until that point and then reevaluate where we will be and how we will come back in January. And how confident are you feeling about this? Yeah, I, I think we're ready uh, in terms of being prepared. I, I think our staff has done a fantastic job preparing um, PPE. We've listened to our teachers. We've uh, purchased some additional things at, at their request that they've asked us to, to purchase. I think we've done a good job of setting up how we want to have our rooms cleared out and, and get the kids spread apart as possible. Um, certainly, we are working on you know that that online option for parents because we do understand that there will be parents that are just not comfortable coming back, and so we're prepared for that as well. Henry, I know that you at some point this summer decided to have all of East Cleveland schools go with the remote model, but now you're dealing with a different obstacle, and that has to do with actually contacting your students and even finding out if they have internet connection at all. So tell me how big an obstacle that has been and kind of on the ground what you've been doing to try to connect with the students and, and see if they're going to be connected in the fall. All right, thank, thank you, Jenny. Good to see Joel and Kathy, uh, dear friends of mine, also fellow superintendents. Um, back in March, we made the decision uh, to start looking at remote options. We know that we're in East Cleveland, which is according to the 14th or 18th census, we were the least connected city, the least city in Ohio that has um, broadband, have computers. So we understood that when we, we sent our students home in the spring, they went home with packets. And that doesn't go well, it didn't work well for students, and we don't feel that learning was optimal. So we began talking about uh, looking at this year and going fully online. So about the middle of June, uh, I made the decision to just stop trying to plan out um, the in-person in right now and focus on getting our students who are not connected to the internet connected. And we did that in two different ways. Uh, we went after a company uh, that was formerly East Cleveland Cable, they're now Wind Speed Broadband, uh, and they we entered into a partnership with them where the East Cleveland City School District is purchasing up to one year of internet at, uh, connectivity and you'll get the Chromebook like many other districts. In addition, we also have hotspots as well for students uh, because we are open enrollment. So not only do we have students within our uh, city uh, limits of East Cleveland, but we have students as far out as 20 miles or so uh, from us coming in uh, and taking part of our education. So really we are now canvassing with all administrators and then teachers reported today, they will begin having a hand in going out or knocking on doors, we're enlisting community leaders, uh, we're, we're advertising and putting things out in all media to let people know school is starting uh, and we're ready uh, for the students and we have internet connectivity and computers ready for them as well. And are you confident that you're gonna be able to contact these kids before the beginning of the fall? Yes. Uh, we have a we've been working on this for over a month. We knew it was coming. 
we did the stay at home order. We knew we would lose children. So we've already been professionally developing our teachers since March on how to teach online, how to do asynchronous or synchronous instruction. We've been working on that now for almost six months. So we are ready for the children. One of the things that we lament about is we're ready to talk to the children and check on them and be connected to them. It is not a time for our students in East Cleveland who are predominantly African-American and this pandemic impacts them at higher rates than others. Now is not the most appropriate time to bring them in. Uh, they have other challenges that are going on as well. We're going to create a model of digital learning for students in East Cleveland. That would be a model for others. And ultimately that's the balance that all of you are having to, to kind of take is, you know, the health of your students and staff, but also the importance of making sure that their minds are activated, that they're, they're getting educated, even when there is a pandemic. And I, I certainly um, commend you all for what I know is a really trying time um, in their career. So Kathy, I know that you're taking a hybrid approach. Um, that even means moving kids to, to in completely new buildings. So tell me a little bit about that dance that you've had to do to orchestrate that and what you're thinking as far as social distancing and keeping kids separate, but in the classroom. Sure. Thank you for the invitation to be here today, Jenny. We appreciate this. Um, so in our school district, um, it started, of course, February 28th was our first communication with parents regarding uh, the school closure, the pandemic, and all that has happened since has been a team effort in addressing not only the academic needs of our students, but of course, the importance of uh, keeping everyone safe. And we knew that we wanted to reopen the school district, that we would have to ensure all of the safety protocols, including the six-foot social distancing requirement uh, for our students and for our staff. If you think about a typical school building, you would assume that classrooms of the same dimension could fit the same num number of children. But what we learned in measuring every single classroom and learning space here in our school district is that was not the case. And a classroom of a certain dimension with a classroom of a certain dimension right next door, you may fit between 12 and maybe 16 students versus what we used to use for 25 or, or 27 students here in our district. So we started to think about um, the space requirements and we realized that um, our older buildings uh, have very small classrooms. And we also understand the importance of starting our young children on the path to learning, the importance of early literacy uh, played largely in this decision, as well as um, two surveys that we um, asked parents to fill out, um, asking them uh, their intention about this coming school year. And it came back that 30% of our families, of our younger children really rely on the students to be here so that families could get to work. So with all of those details, we began to plot out what school could look like with the six foot social distance. And um, the end result was our high school students had to vacate Twinsburg High School, and they are now going to be attending class um, over at the middle school, and I should say in students 10th through 12th grade. Our students in second through sixth grade are taking over the high school campus and because that those happen to be my largest classrooms in the district. Um, our first graders are heading over to Bissell. Our preschool through kindergarten children are staying at Wilcox and our students who used to be at the middle school, our seventh and eighth graders are joining their ninth grade friends over at Dodge Intermediate School. 
Um, doing this would allow our students in grades kindergarten through six to be here five days a week uh, with six foot social distance between them and all of our classrooms mm -hmm. and students in grades uh, seven, I'm sorry, yes, seven through 12 are, are going to be participating either in a block schedule at the high school level or in every other day, a blue and white schedule at the middle school level. So we're able to accommodate what our residents, our family members need from us as far as getting kids back to school. But understanding that we're only going to do that with the very strict social protocols with regard to health and safety. And we're ready to do that. Um, our staff has worked diligently over the summer. I liken this to a snow globe that has been shaken and the parts and pieces are, are finally settling. Uh, we're excited about the beginning school year. We have an option where parents can select for their child to remain at home and participate in the Twinsburg Virtual Academy. And then other parents have decided uh, to send their students to school beginning September 8th. So um, it has been a busy summer. Um, we have a very committed staff here. I'm so indebted to everyone. And uh, our partnership with our families has just been tremendous. We appreciate the support of everybody. Kathy, uh, I'm wondering, do you worry about that first case of COVID-19 that potentially one of your students or staff might have. And um, I know that the last time I spoke with you preceding this conversation, you were you were coming up with your quarantine plan uh, at the moment. So, so what is that looking like? Yes, I am actually um, in the um, end part of creating a guidance document for our families because parents want to know and staff want to know what happens uh, should we have a, a, a case of a positive teacher or a positive um, student positive staff member. And so we are creating a decision tree for our family so that they have the confidence knowing if this happens, then our district response will be that. I can tell you for an example, we um, had an incident happen where a, a, one of our high school students recently tested positive and working very closely with the Summit County Public Health Department, they have been our, our guide on the side, uh, very responsive to what we need here in our community. Um, they um, institute, uh, you know, contact tracing. The school district participates in providing uh, phone numbers so that the, the process is, is easy on their end as far as implementation goes. And we continue to keep our families posted, uh, not, not with specifics, obviously that would be a HIPAA violation, but letting them know that we have a situation. Um, transparency is really important when we're talking about a pandemic. Our parents need that information so that they can discern the risk and make choices for their families. Great. Joelle, I know that sports has been a pretty loaded issue for the Brexville Broadview High School District. Um, and yeah, it's been a controversial one specifically for you, but for many districts uh, in our region. So what ultimately has your district decided? And, and tell me about kind of the pressures that you felt, because I know that parents and students had a lot to say about uh, sports going forward. At the same time, we're hearing on a collegiate level, conferences are, are, are making that determination that it might not be the best time to engage in football or, or other sports. So why don't you tell me what's been going on when it comes to athletics? Yeah, so it's, it's been very uh, frustrating and, and, and controversial because there seems to be um, from our governing bodies, some contradictory information. And so, you know, who do you follow or what advice do you follow when when you're hearing all of this information? So uh, we were under a school building closure, as you know, through June 30th. And at that time, you know, we didn't allow any athletes or practices to continue. Um, a lot of our 
our, a lot of our fall athletes would have captain's practices and use our facilities and we just did not allow it. When that order was lifted and we were allowed and OHSAA came out with some guidance to say that kids can start in phase one, start conditioning, mm-hmm. we slowly started opening up our buildings to allow that phase one of, of just conditioning, no contact sports. Uh, we had to go through that for a period of time. And then you can move to phase two where you were allowed, for example, to use balls. They had to be disinfected between times and then ultimately moved to phase three. Um, it was just around that time that Cuyahoga County came out with their recommendation to say to you know stop all extracurriculars. We were in the midst of it. We were in the midst of band camp and all of the things. Um, we had sat down with our band parents. Our band director came up with this fantastic plan of how he planned to keep kids safe. He had him bring them in in small groups. It wasn't until the last day that we had a full band and six feet apart, socially distanced in, in the parking lot and, um, you know, no marching. So if you can imagine a marching band not marching, but standing there and, and still being able to play their instruments outside. And so we did that. When the recommendation came down from Cuyahoga County, uh, we immediately stopped. Uh, we stopped. And I think it was the very next day, my, my colleague me. Uh, the very next day, OHSAA came out with some guidance and said, you know, you can continue to do that. So in that 24 hour time period where we stopped to just kind of reevaluate, uh, we had parents reach out and say, you know, this is this is what we need. Our kids need this. They've had no sort of normalcy up until now. And if we can do it in a safe manner and the kids have been doing it, um, can we continue to do it? So we allowed it to continue to go on up until now. Uh, we're, we're, we're still practicing. Our kids are still engaging in that phase one, phase two, uh, and being able to come together as groups as much as possible. I think, you know, we, we all share in the frustration that, you know, the counties are, are differing on their opinions on start dates and whether or not kids should engage in, in certain activities. And yet around us, we see all the college level uh, sports programs canceling. And yet that's not something that has been done, you know, to, um, in Ohio for high school athletics. So it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of pressure to say, you know, what, how come colleges are not allowing this, but as high school students, we're still allowing them to engage in practice. Right. And then you're hearing conversely from other parents who are saying, this is my child's lifeline and he or she's not super into, you know, into the academics, but the sports give structure and all these types of things. So again, another really delicate uh, balancing act that you're all having. Henry, uh, with your schools going remote, is that kind of easier for you when it comes to the extracurriculars? Have you kind of gone down the line saying, none of this will be uh, going on while you're in a remote period? Well, we, over the summer, and just like Joel in Cuyahoga County, we've been kind of doing uh, very similar what other districts are doing in this county and our kids are practicing. Um, but right now they're not playing, they're not practicing. I know we're trying to get together as different uh, districts, trying to come together to come up with a cohesive plan. Uh, but right now I did put the order that we're not, we're not gonna do anything right now. Um, in East Cleveland, we are dealing with some issues that are bigger than sports. Um, we just heard that we served about 40,000 meals uh, to students over the summer and during the coronavirus episode. We're giving out toiletries. Uh, people are in poverty. Uh, so there's some other things that we are trying to attend to now. Uh, you know, Clorox 360 machines were purchased for all my buildings, and we, we're also helping the city clean city spaces as well. Uh, so the sports conversation has, has halted right now. Additionally, 
prior to coronavirus, East Cleveland was in the middle of a right sizing. And phase two was going to be start working on a stadium, start renovating the 100-year-old stadium and start working on athletic uh, facilities because they're not up to par. Uh, so in a weird way, this gave us an opportunity to pause. And while we're not having students play, we are building and designing systems so that when they do come back to play, they will be safe. They will be state of the art. Uh, so that's really what our focus has been in East Cleveland. And Kathy at Twinsburg, what has the approach been when it comes to athletics? So um, we have been in close contact with the Summit County Public Health Department. And about two weeks ago, um, they released some guidance for us, taking the sports and dividing them between low and moderate and high risk with regard to the fall sports season. Um, much like Brexville Broadview Heights, we have developed our phase-in plans since the middle of June. Students in football and soccer and cross-country and volleyball have been on our campuses um, conditioning with their coaching staff with each of those plans authorized by the Summit County Public Health Department. Um, in the guidance that was released recently, it suggests that students who are athletes in soccer and in football are participating in, in high-risk sports, and the county has um, given guidance that would suggest that those sports should not begin until October 1st. Mm -hmm. The reason before before us is because of the belief that many of the districts here in Summit County are starting school on September 8th, and the county desires to have a longer runway to understand this health impact um, before the students engage in playing football, uh, competing against other school districts um, in those sports. With regard to our low-risk sports, we're starting to trend up and students are getting ready to begin competition and, and are already competing in some of the areas, including golf and tennis. Our students are out today competing with other school districts. And the reason why those are okay is because if you think about golf, for example, you play with your own uh, club, you play with your own golf ball, you're not congregating on the green. It's a pretty much of an individual sport, but in a team sense. So those things are continuing. I do know that um, last night at our Board of Education meeting, the board engaged in a conversation about what would we do if for some reason the district has to pivot to remote teaching and learning. And um, our board at this time um, has uh, directed us that if we would pivot out, all extracurricular activities um, and athletic programs or co-curricular activities such as our marching band, um, that would pause um, and we would um, not participate in those activities until the district then goes back to our on-campus option. I did begin to engage the board last night too in a conversation that you are hearing at the state level, and this comes from say Ohio State University, the beginning conversation about potentially switching some of our um, fall sports into the spring sports season. It's a complicated conversation, obviously one that Twinsburg couldn't make by itself. Um, and the other part that we have to remember is last school year, our spring sports athletes didn't have their season. And so we would certainly want to have great consideration ensuring that our spring sports athletes, if they're able to compete this year, would get to do that and potentially maybe shift some of the fall sports uh, programs to the spring. So it is a, quite a puzzle. We continue to look at all the variables, um, making sure health and safety is in the center. But uh, much like my colleagues here, we're very interested in providing opportunities for our students. We know that school is more than academics. Yes, academics is very important. Um, but in order for students to have a well-rounded education and to feel good about themselves socially and emotionally, being a part of a team is really important. So we look forward to uh, working through the details and providing as many opportunities as we can, given this changing platform that we um, find ourselves in facing with the pandemic. 
So, Joelle, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, we had a conversation not only about the athletics, but just in the direction of your district uh, and, and how it was impacted by guidelines set forth uh, on the state level and then ultimately looking at, at the health department. How have you felt about the guidance handed down from the governor's office, the ODE? Um, I'm seeing a patchwork of different approaches from almost every different district, but you know, some are going along with what the County Board of Health might be saying in their particular county. Uh, do you feel satisfied with what the state dictated or do you wish there had been a more streamlined approach for all districts? Yeah, my personal opinion is is yes. I, you know, I, my colleagues have heard me on superintendent meetings saying, you know, yes, we are all about local control, and you know, that's what all of our school districts are based on. It's looking at your community and the needs of your community. In this particular case, where we were we were joking before we were on live here about how we've all become infectious disease experts, and we really haven't, and we're not medical doctors. And so, I personally, as a superintendent, am very uncomfortable making decisions about medical issues that I, I'm not trained in. And so, in, in a case like this, where we all believe in local control, it would have been nice to have a set guidance and then let us figure it out locally. And so in other words, you know, for the governor to say you are either all starting remote or you're all starting in a hybrid or you're all starting after a certain date. And, you know, it's leaving it up to 608 of us who are not trained in the medical field, nor are we trained in infectious disease studies by any stretch of the imagination to figure out what is the most safe for our staff and students. And, you know, it puts us all in, in a at least for me, it's it's a very uncomfortable position to be in because we're being asked questions that we are not trained to make to have answers to. And so, you know, I do wish in this particular case that we did have some more guidance, at least to start from for all of our districts. And then, you know, let us let us figure it out locally on what that looks like. But a set of, you know, kind of standards or how schools should look in the fall to at least start and then monitor would have been very helpful in this situation. And, and actually, this is a question I'd love to hear all of your answers um, for. Henry, I mean, how do you feel about what the state guidance was? And uh, in lieu of, you know, a real robust set of guidelines, who have you turned to to, to get ideas from or kind of dictate the course of the East Cleveland schools? Um, our community. And our internal staff, we've been working tirelessly, putting together safety committees. And then now, because of the benefit of social media now, we're able to run some meetings and get uh, Facebook Live comments from people and really start to get interactive. So we've, we've looked at the county uh, guidance. We've looked at the state the governor's orders. But in East Cleveland, we've tried to move a little bit faster than all of that. And that's why I, I quickly went to remote learning, uh, because back in march we realized that our students only had the option of coming to school there weren't any options in east cleveland if students aren't connected to the internet so that became that focal point is making sure yes we have plans that are very similar to others when students do return and we've used all the guidance that we have available and we've built the plan that's pretty similar you know i've looked at all the plans in the area they're all pretty similar there, there's just some variance we're all relying on those things in East Cleveland, we've also had some conversations with community members, and I'm continuing to have meetings with uh, community leaders uh, to get this plan ex ex extremely right. It's not only about the school district for East Cleveland, it's also about the entire city. 
So this conversation for us in East Cleveland is a broader conversation. Mm -hmm. How do we protect our entire city, our 3.3 square miles? Mm -hmm. That also starts with the school district having a very big part in it. In a few minutes, we will turn to your audience questions. If you have questions for any of our panelists, text them to area code 330-541-5794, that number on your screen. That is 330-541-5794. And of course, you can tweet them at the City Club, and we will work those questions in. So, Kathy, same question to you. Uh, where have you been turning for any semblance of guidance or help in, in this situation? And, and how much do you feel that politics on the state or even local level has impacted the district and how it's approaching the fall? Well, um, much like my colleagues have indicated, I, we have reached out to our, our community, first and foremost, asking for parents to submit um, their request to the district, understanding the pandemic. And that survey that we did, particularly the one in June, was very helpful in formalizing the plan that was ultimately drafted and then board approved here. Um, we have been um, so grateful to the guidance that we're being provided from the Summit County Public Health Officials, Commissioner Donna Skoda and Environmental Director Tanya Burford, with regard to the health and safety pieces, we had a lot of questions, much like Joelle mentioned, none of us on the screen here are doctors, not in our background. And so a lot of the health and safety information has to be analyzed and, and provided to us in a manner that we understand and that those uh, data points help, helped us make some decisions. Uh, as a superintendent group in Summit County, we meet um, virtually every Wednesday afternoon and our friends from Summit County Public Health participate in those conversations and provide the guidance that we need in that respect. In addition to that, uh, we are very fortunate in our state that our superintendent network is as strong as it is. Both um, our BASA network as well as um, many of us belong to the Alliance for High Quality Education. And it's through those um, virtual conversations that have, we've been having weekly conversations, sometimes more than weekly, we are sharing ideas across the state uh, because even though each school district is different and our, our families may or may not need different things from one district to the next, it's in the sharing of ideas that we are all able to discern information and try to fit the pieces that um, will, be, we will be best for our, our specific community. Um, with regard to what is going on in Columbus, you know, I certainly don't want to be in Governor DeWine's uh, shoes. He has a lot of individuals pulling him many different ways, as mm -hmm. does uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted, as does our state superintendent, Paulo DiMaria. We appreciate the um, ability for making uh, local uh, decisions here in all of our school districts, um, but it would, as Joelle indicated, have been better suited for us if we would have had more specific guidance maybe rolling out a plan uh, statewide, much like what happened in the school closure in March, everyone knew what the direction was and then we all made it work for our school districts. Mm -hmm. So without that lack of clarity, all of us have decided and determined what is best based on what our communities need. Um, what we ask of our parents, I think all of the superintendents in the state is just the grace and patience with us because we continue to have to um, uh, make some decisions on the fly. Uh, information comes, seems almost on a daily basis that will cause some kind of impact to the plans that we all have. And so we sometimes have to pivot and change direction. And I know here in our community, our Twinsburg families have been just tremendous in having patience and grace with us, understanding that we don't always have all the answers. 
we seek the answers for the questions that are being asked and we're trying to be as transparent and as responsive as we can be given the pandemic as a, a platform that just keeps changing. Great. So I have a question from a listener and I'm going to direct it to Henry. This is uh, given to us over Twitter. Are the online only options district-based or outsourced providers? If outsourced, what guarantees exist for quality of education? Quality of education requires in-house in teachers. So this is not something that we purchased. Uh, there won't be people outside of East Cleveland City School District teaching our students. This will be students, these will be individuals that we employ as a district. Uh, and we've been professionally developing them since March uh, for this task. So we are very pleased and we're very confident that our teachers in the ECEA, the East Cleveland Teachers Association, they'll be able to handle this task. We did not feel the need to go outside of our teachers to accomplish it. But that does beg the question, and I think, Henry, we've discussed this before. I mean, as we move into the fall with such a patchwork of different approaches from different schools and even how a second grade might look in Joel's district as opposed to Kathy's as opposed to Henry's, how is there going to be a good gauge of how much these kids are learning at, compared to kids in other districts? And will there be some sort of common set of standards applied in retrospect um, with the level of education these children are receiving? Is it a concern of yours? Henry, back to you. Uh, yes, and it's in our design. So we're working on uh, unified bell schedules even uh, when students are working. Uh, so we're conscious of the individual details of the plan that we need to look at. Uh, I'm pretty confident uh, with the direction that we're going. Um, it's going to be a learning curve for everyone. I think one of the challenges that I have and many superintendents have across the state is tempering the uh, anxiety, the angst, the worry. Um, we've never seen this before. So we have to be in a position to innovate, create, um, but our students will be able to uh, get opportunities to learn. Uh, we're going to create these uh, the schedules, whether it's the schedule, whether the way students are interacting with their teachers, all of those things are now we're expanding the way we see those ideas. For example, uh, many of my conversations with the teachers and we had an administrative retreat and we'll be retreating with our teachers to talk more about it is not to try to make uh, now feel like yesterday. Yesterday is gone. Uh, and we now have to teach in a different way. We have to present information to students in a different way. TikTok now becomes is sitting right behind students as they're trying to be on um, uh, instructive type of learning places. What we've also done with our teachers, you asked about assessments. Uh, we started with 20 day cycles last year. We're gonna continue that. Students have common assessments. Every 20 days there's, there's pre and pre post assessments so we will still be tracking those information that data we'll still be looking at students how they are mastering the standards uh, we've created design lab opportunities for our teachers to learn together how to lesson plan so we have uh, some really robust ideas as to how we're going to build the system for all joelle i turn the, the a similar question to you uh, are you concerned about how to kind of gauge your students' success? Are they taking in this remote learning in, a, in the same way that the children who are in class are doing so? And how are they doing compared to kids in other districts? Uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to any sort of standards to measure how much your students are learning? So we, we don't start until September 8th, so I, I can't answer what it what that is happening right now. But what I can say is that I think we have a pretty good system in place as to how we're going to manage it as uh, 
as an example, um, mandatory daily attendance with the teachers or with a, a BBH staff member. And it you know depends on the level of what that remote or what that online option is going to look like. Um, but certainly um, providing that check-in with a teacher, we call them touch points, providing that touch point with our staff on a daily basis, it is required. In our hybrid model, Wednesday is an all remote day for the district. We did that so that we could allow a an additional deep clean of the buildings each week after we've had groups of kids in. What the teachers will be doing during that time is having what we call office hours and intervention periods. So to kids that are um, might be struggling or have questions can log in via Zoom or come in um, through a live stream and actually um, work specifically with teachers on, on things that they're struggling with. But, you know, in terms of t keeping our kids accountable, yes, they will have assignments due. They are due on very specific days. We've come up with schedules of what that's going to look like. You know, and, and, and you know, we had to be humble enough to look at what we were thrown into in the spring. Uh, you know, we were thrown into a remote learning where it, in my district, many of our staff had, had never delivered instruction that way. And so there was a learning curve for our staff as well as a learning curve for our students. And you know, there are things that we just didn't do well. And we reflected on that and we have come up with a better plan of what that's gonna look like. And accountability was one of those uh, areas where we didn't do such a great job in that. How were we keeping track of kids? How were we providing new instruction rather than just review of material that was already taught? And so we've learned a lot. Our teachers have engaged in lots of professional learning at the end of last school year. And at the beginning of this year, they are, prepped and ready to go. I uh, had a meeting with our high school leadership team yesterday. Uh, teachers were saying they've already got three weeks of asynchronous and synchronous lessons already done and ready to go. And so, you know, I think that we've we've established a new mindset with our with our instructional staff to say, look, it's not going to look the same way. Um, I think our biggest challenge with this right now is educating our parents on this. Uh, parents who choose an online option, you know, Online school does not look like brick and mortar school. And that's a that's a huge learning curve for our community and trying to constantly educate our families to say, you know, it's not appropriate to have a kindergarten student sit in front of a computer screen for six hours like they would and live stream a whole full day of kindergarten. It's not appropriate, nor nor will a kid attend that long. And so really I think the struggle that we have right now is not so much the accountability on how we're gonna watch students be successful, but how are we going to continue to educate our parents to understand what a, what an online option looks like and you know what is appropriate at each level for kids to be engaging in. And if there are times at home where you know they're not doing that's okay. You know, we need to take brain breaks. Even when kids are sitting in a classroom, they're not working from the moment they walk in to the moment they leave. And so really helping our parents understand um, what what this new environment is going to look like, I think is really where my focus is moving forward to help our community understand and accept our new reality. And certainly we know adults, myself, I need screen breaks all the time. So to uh, have kids to assimilate to that, you know, that's going to be kind of a, a task. And yeah, they're certainly going to need that break away from, from the computer or the Chromebook. Um, we're get, starting to get a lot of questions in. So Kathy, someone is very, very concerned with and curious about your nationally acclaimed show choir. So yeah. what's going what's gonna to happen with that program going forward this year? That's a, that's a great question. Um, our show choir is known as the Great Expectations, and they are known nationally. They do such a wonderful job performing. Um, our director is Mr. Randall Lanou, and he and I just on Friday night had a conversation about what about show choir. Um, 
show choir is a co-curricular and so the class itself will be continuing as a, a class at, at our high school level as well as our, our mood swingers which is our all girls group as well as our rbc singers and that's a co-curricular extracurricular activity i should say um, our students um, have lots of different talents and, and singing and dancing happens to be one of them. It will be problematic if you think about how show choirs perform. They perform often with partners, dancing and singing close in quarters. And so we will have to look at how that might look um, and roll out the program in a, in a unique manner. At this point, according to Mr. Lanou, um, the show choir world is, is, has pressed pause. So as far as competitions go, I, I don't believe at this point anything is scheduled. Um, we'll be continuing to work with, with our students. Um, they will have a class, um, the Great Expectations will have a class at, at, at the high school level um, following their schedule as they always do. And um, as far as the competitions at this point, everything is, 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 uh, is on hold until we get further direction. Henry, I have a listener question for you. What are you doing for the social emotional impact from remote learning? How are you providing intervention for both academics and behavioral issues, many of which existed prior to shutdown? They still need help. Thank you. One of the things we instituted, we've been working with John Hopkins University and Ohio Department of Education to rethink high schools. We've been working on that already. We were already looking at Shaw and how can we do some of these very ideas with the SEL impact? How can we put, build it into the day to give students opportunities to meet with qualified folks to help navigate some of those issues and begin to help them you know, put definition on what has happened? Uh, so what we what we are thinking about now, and again, we're, we're in flux, we're in movement, um, but we're starting to center on uh, a what I need period, a when period or a day. Um, and that's coming out of some of that research where students are able to get those things and teachers and staff members are freed up on a given day or a given periods of the day in the week to connect with students one-on-one, -on -one, connect with families. Because one of the big bonuses I feel with uh, remote learning is you get to talk to the family and we begin to do some generational healing with educational as well. So the SEL uh, uh, idea has always been on the front of our um, mindsets in East Cleveland. Uh, we were on CNN, United Shades of America just recently, and our mindfulness program was focused. We try to allow the students to get mindful before they do the work. We're still doing that in a remote way. Um, sometimes it's called Zoom therapy, the children uh, call it. But it's a way to talk, it's a way to socialize, it's a way to, uh, uh, I've even, I'm doing read-along books to students uh, that come along. Uh, we're trying to really be available to our students and as we, the experts of education, uh, as we see the things that our students need is our responsibility and our duty to provide treatments that can solve those issues or at least contextualize them for the student. Joella, a listener question for you. Do you think that children who don't have a problem staying at home should do remote, given the choice between remote and hybrid, in order to allow those kids who don't have safe or good learning environments at home to go back in person? That's an interesting, I, you know, that's something that I've not, I mean, I've thought of, but not kind of the district gauging who really needs to be in, 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 in class and who doesn't as a beyond a class, class, classroom level. Sure. I, you know, we've talked about that a lot. 
um, in our district, uh, you know, we, we know we have families that have childcare issues and, and how can we, you know, try to accommodate that? Um, you know, it, it becomes a struggle because if it's not safe to bring all the kids back, is it safe to bring kids back in a daycare si situation? And, you know, I would, I would say no, because it's no different. You know, if that's the case, let's bring all the kids back and, and put them in their classrooms where they can be. I haven't really thought about, you know, if we're making those recommendations, um, certainly this is a parent choice and we respect the parent choice uh, to have their kids attend in person or not. Uh, something else we learned from the spring was our students that are um, have some disabilities. We did not service them the way that they needed to be serviced. So certainly moving forward, uh, looking at our plans, there are there are specific students and specific instances where we may, you know, ask or bring in kids on a more frequent basis so that we make sure that we are meeting their needs and providing services that they are entitled to on an IEP. We also realize that we have kids that are medically fragile and that is not an option for those kids. And so coming up with a plan on how to make sure or, or ensure that we're meeting the needs of our medically fragile kids. And so we've tossed around a lot of ideas about that, you know, looking at possible itinerant services. But again, you know, this is all going to come down to parent, parent decision and what they are comfortable with. You know, even a, a medically fragile child, um, if itinerant service isn't an option or it's not an option to bring in, we are still required to service. And so, you know, a lot of those, those a lot of problem solving has gone on on how we best serve our, our kids that maybe have a little bit more need than some of our other kids and seeing if we can make exceptions to our plan to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all of our students. And Kathy, it seems that you did put uh, a, a bit of emphasis on the fact that you wanted the younger kids to go to school five days a week. So that obviously played into your calculus. Uh, I'd love to ask you this question from a listener, which is, would you send your kids to school this fall? And I would say, yes, I would. Um, given um, the environment that we have established for our students here in Twinsburg, um, with the six-foot social distancing, with our rigorous cleaning protocols, with uh, masking, our Board of Education is, is expected to pass a facial masking uh, policy next Wednesday, which would require masks for students in grades kindergarten through 12 and in preschool through grade 12 for um, riding on school buses. Uh, with the understanding that we have had a lot of professional development to support um, this new um, way that we're doing school. Um, the other thing is uh, we recognize that students haven't been on campus for uh, class learning since March, five months ago. And so the week of August 31st is our soft reopening week here in the district. We have to make sure our students are comfortable in coming back. And if you think about it, school looks really different for all of us, even those of us who are able to welcome children back on campus this year. So the week of August 31st, each day of that week, um, we will have a quarter of our student population on our campuses and they will go through a, a typical school day. They're going to learn a little bit about their new teacher and their classmates. They're going to learn our new health and safety protocols. We're going to stir some benchmark assessments because we're concerned about some regression and skill that might have happened since March mm -hmm. and over the summer months. Our students will be able to have lunch or breakfast and um, Moving forward, lunch and breakfast will be served in our classrooms. And so that's a whole change to how that will look. For our elementary children, we have established zones on our campuses and they will play with their um, classmates in, the, in that particular cohort. So that's a, a different way of doing recess. So that week of the soft reopening is going to be really important. 
to help students understand how school is different and also to gauge their social emotional um, temperature. How are they feeling about coming back to school? Some kids are really, really excited and some kids are worried. And so our staff will be addressing those kinds of things, being in contact with parents and students who are participating in our virtual option will also participate in the soft reopening week, but in a virtual sense so that everyone will get an, um, a, a little bit of an introduction to how as we get underway on September 8th. Henry, one of our listeners asks, as the Black Lives Matter movement has gained steam during this time, what efforts are your schools taking to address issues of race and diversity, especially considering the racial and socioeconomic inequalities within the student body that may have been exacerbated because of the pandemic? Absolutely. So it goes back to our right-sizing efforts and uh, what we did is I created a department called the, the, uh, and it's, the, it's headed up by the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So this is a new position in East Cleveland. It's in my cabinet. And that person's role is to not look at diversity or uh, inclusion or equity for adults, but it's for students. Because I understood back in the spring, as we're getting ready to go into the remote learning season, there's going to be tons of inequity, tons of issues. And I really needed an entire department that was going to focus on those issues. So they're raring to go. Special ed is under that umbrella, um, but also any other specialized student groups are under that umbrella. And they're, they've been tasked and they've already been giving administrators guidance on how to process uh, issues that are coming up. Uh, so that's the, how we're dealing with diversity, how we're dealing with even the BLM movement is by educating our students and, and eliminating barriers for their education. And that's, I think remote learning is gonna also do that for us. It takes us away from the textbooks and allows students to get information from other sources as well under the guidance of a, of a teacher. So uh, we're really looking forward to being able to help our students understand that particular topic. We also have um, our Director of Human Resources, Deonis, which you just released a book on anti-racist teaching uh, that we will be using in our professional development. Uh, so this is one of the things that we are fighting in East Cleveland, and we have some very specific strategies to do so. And Joelle, I'm wondering, how does this kind of greater focus on inequities and race and social justice uh, play into your district? And especially during a time when, you know, as we've been discussing, the equity gap is only really expanded and exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think we've seen that as well. And, you know, it, for most people, you wouldn't think that there was that much of a, a diverse group in, in Brexel Broadview Heights, but there really is. And I think this has helped, uh, it, it's come to the forefront. Um, looking at different methodologies and curriculums, engaging our teachers in conversations. You know, I, when I was in a, as a principal, you know, we did some training around diversity and in, inequities and um, racism. And it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. And it's a conversation that we need to have with our entire community and not just with our teachers and our kids. Um, you know, it, it might be something that maybe some of my kids have never experienced, so they don't understand. So mm -hmm. it's understanding that the history of how this came and, you know, what is racism and having a, a, an understanding of that and inequity and, and building that understanding for our students to understand why this is an issue now. I think some of our students, as evident, we had uh, a rally earlier this summer in our community. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, I think, unknowns and misunderstandings. And I, and I, it made me take pause and say, we really need to address this 
on the forefront with our kids, but also with our staff and with our with our larger community to, to say, let's have a conversation. Let's have a critical conversation around racism and inequities because it is here in our district and we, we can't ignore it. And it's an important issue. So I'm going to turn the same question to you, Kathy, as far as a, a, a greater focus on diversity diversity, inclusion, and 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 race during the summer. Um, and it seems like it really was given greater focus because a lot of people were at home and paying attention and things were going viral on the web. So how does that um, play into your thinking as a superintendent and how you might want to communicate with your students? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Much like uh, Brexville, Broadview Heights in June, the beginning of June, we had a peaceful protest here in our community too. And um, I participated in that community uh, protest and listened as some of our graduates shared some stories about their experiences as students in our, our school community. And some of those things that were shared were really tough to hear and really um, settled on my heart, I have to say. And, and since that conversation, we have engaged a small group of, of teaching staff members, have engaged our board of education um, and our planning on August 20th to hold a mandatory professional development for our staff to begin that critical conversation about equity here in our school district and what each of us must do as employees and as um, individuals who support our students and our families and our community in a greater sense. So, so that work is underway. In addition to that, um, we are forming a task force of the greater community because all voices need to be heard. Um, school communities, school districts play a, a huge role in the community in which they reside. And in this conversation, we need to take the lead and understand where we have stumbled, understand where things need to be resolved, and understand how we need to change things. And it just can't be a change for 2021. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about are systemic issues that um, we have to encounter and that we have to find solutions for and that we have to be much more equitable and um, ensuring that all students have a place at the table, that all students feel comfortable and that we are meeting all of their needs. And, and it is going to be a, a, a large conversation here in our community. You know, the pandemic seems to take precedence, but um, the conversation about race and, race and equity cannot be overshadowed by the pandemic either. And Henry, Kathy's talking about change that goes beyond 2020. And I know that for all districts, but especially yours, the digital divide is really uh, taking the forefront right now. And uh, there has been a push by, by, by districts and by legislators for Ohio to really start thinking about internet access, broadband as a utility, as a right and title to every student. Uh, how real do you think that goal is and, and what kind of efforts do you think need to be taken in order to move in that direction? Uh, I, I think it, it does, it, it should be a proper uh, utility uh, in this state, it should be a utility. I see the, the negatives for people in this community not having access. I see the issues with whether it's the East Cleveland Library, they have a set number of hotspots that they loan out at two weeks at a time and they can't keep them in because people are using them. There's a thirst for what's beyond our borders and our walls in East Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So I do believe there needs to be a utility uh, to assist people in obtaining uh, high speed broadband access. Uh, but then I also think there needs to be continued uh, conversations at the legislative level about making that happen. 
these are the same conversations that happen uh, with the telephone. These are the same conversations that potentially happen with the other utilities that we have as well. So now it's the time for us to innovate. And I do believe I stand ready to, to support that effort to make it a utility. Mm -hmm. Joelle, a listener asks, what are districts doing in concerns with 21st century community learning centers or other external partnership programs? How is after school education taking form? So tell me a little bit about your partnerships with other programs. Yeah, so we, we do partner with some outside organizations to provide services for students. And, uh, you know, we, we've pushed pause on some of those. Uh, we created a, a mental health action plan about three years ago. And so we're three years into uh, develop, well, not developing, but implementing that plan. And one of the um, things that we do every year is we screen our kids. Uh, and it's a, it's a triangulated data point that a, a teacher fills out something, a parent fills out something, and depending on the grade level, a student would. And then we, we can identify kids that might be struggling with something that maybe we did know or we weren't aware of. And so some of our outside um, partnerships we uh, use as service providers. So, you know, in terms of affecting those service providers, again, that's that's a parent permission thing that if they go to an outside provider, so it would be, again, a parent choice to do that. Some of those services that we do provide um, in school, again, it, it, it's, it's a second level of, of permission. We did implement a no visitor policy this year to, to until further notice. So there will not be outside people actually coming into our building unless of course that there is a need. And so some of our behavior support specialists that we work with, um, you know, our kids need that. So we will allow those outside providers to come in. In terms of our after school program, we run a before and after care program here. Up until about uh, early summer, we were under a, the, the same guidelines as daycares in terms of rate ratios between adults and students. Um, you know, the concern was is that we weren't going to be able to provide the, those services for as many kids as we have in the past. We are still doing it. They are our employees, and those programs are housed in our schools. So we are allowing those programs to continue. Uh, in terms of looking at outside groups using our facilities, we've also said no to outside groups, really trying to keep our kids, our family, our staffs as safe as possible and not allowing exposure to go outside of our school family as much as possible. Kathy, I, I overheard uh, CEO Eric Gordon, CEO with CMSD, say during a webinar a week ago that for him, one of the greatest needs was finding safe spaces for his children as they enter into a remote period. I'd love to know from you as a superintendent who's been working, you know, I, I'm assuming 24-7 to, to keep your students and staff safe. If I could pose a what do you need uh, either from parents or the community or from legislature, legislators, what is top of mind for you as a superintendent? What do you need uh, as we move forward? And then I'll ask the question of all of you. Well, legislatively, I think all of us would request some relief with regard to some of the things like um, the school report card and uh, state assessments, uh, teacher evaluations, uh, the things that um, are are important, um, but as we move into a year of remote teaching and learning for some of us, um, and some of us have students on campus, there's just going to be the continuation of inequity uh, between school districts. And so to, for example, with regard to the report card or state assessments, to compare one district against the next across the state of Ohio really is not fair. It wasn't fair to begin with, given variables that each of our communities have um, that we deal with. 
Um, but given this pandemic, I would desire for our State Board of Education and those who have the authority into Columbus to provide some relief in that respect. Um, absolutely, I think we all understand the importance of accountability and we're not saying that we're not going to be accountable. And I have to tell you that um, in our community here in, in Twinsburg, my curriculum department has done a great job with professional development and is working directly with our teaching staff. And um, we have made some tweaks to how the academic uh, piece will work for both on campus and in the remote world. And the accountability piece is, is looming large in all of the decisions that we're making, making sure that the teachers are teaching those power standards and, and all of those things. So that would, legislatively, those are the things that I would desire. I would also desire that um, when guidance is given, it needs to be consistent and it needs not to, to be so um, much as a, a state that changes all the time. It's very difficult for any of us who sit in the seat of superintendent to make changes quickly. Um, it's my, my treasurer often refers to our school district as the Titanic and you think about you know, changing direction. It's, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of communication and a lot of programmatic um, massaging to make those things happen. And so we, we would desire, and we all understand that some of this stuff is going to evolve just given the nature of the pandemic, but a clear guidance that stays consistent would be great. And of course, all of us can certainly use additional funds to support all of the things that we have to do here with regard to PPE, with regard to social emotional programming, with regard to professional development for our staff members. So if I had a wish list, those are the three top things that I would be asking for here from Twinsburg. That's great. And Henry, I, I asked the same of you. What, what do you as a CEO need from either parents, the community or legislators? Sure, absolutely. And and we, we are in East Cleveland under academic distress, uh, state takeover. We are one of the three districts. Uh, and I am the CEO as well as the board appointed superintendent as also. So what, I, what I'm asking personally is for the trust in my leadership uh, for the community and for the parents and for the children. Uh, I know what's at stake here. I know uh, the problems that you're facing at home. I know the difficulties that we are, are under right now. Um, but I'm poised to, to steer the ship and to make sure uh, that you get exactly what you need. And we do it in a very loving, uh, loving approach and a very listening approach. I'd also ask the community to be patient. We're going to get some things wrong. Uh, I think all superintendents can, can attest to that. We're going to make some mistakes, uh, but blame it on our head, not our heart. We really are trying to do what's in the best interest of students and our staff as well, uh, who also need the same level of safety as our students. I'd ask the legislators, I'd ask uh, Columbus to listen to us. Uh, the, uh, the, the superintendents all over the state, they're working busily in groups, superintendent groups, talking to each other, coming up with fantastic ideas. Uh, I think that is a, a great place for legislators to get some type of tap in access and listen to, because that's really where the boots on the ground ideas are coming from. Really the tested ideas are coming from local school districts. So please listen to the superintendents and the staff as we're coming up with innovative things that can help all children. I'd also like uh, everyone to have a little bit of empathy. It's one of the core values in East Cleveland. We have to put each other, we have to put ourselves in other shoes for the purpose to care about them and the purpose to create action. Uh, if we are empathetic to folks, not sympathetic, we'll be able to create strategies and action plans that will really be honoring to the communities we serve. And also, I'm going to ask everyone, whether it's my students in kindergarten and preschool or the legislators that are making decisions, still hold me accountable uh, because I have a school district that I'm, I'm charged to lead. Uh, and though we are under pandemic, we are under this, this unprecedented occurrence. 
students still need to learn and their futures and still need to be developed. Uh, so there's still some accountability measures that need to be sorted out. I know things are on pause. We need to figure it out so we can make sure students are getting what they need. I think those are my comments. And then also uh, there are going to be different people teleworking now, I think, whether it's teachers or other folks. So we all have to get to the idea uh, that people may not be in buildings, but the work is still getting done. Great. Great. And Joelle? I don't know if I can add anything to either one of my colleagues' comments. Um, I mean, Henry and Kathy said it perfectly. I mean, I would echo the needs from the legislation and just and, and just some consistency. And, you know, I, I need our legislators to talk to ODE and I need ODE to talk to OHSAA and we all need to talk to each other. And, and you know, we've, we've all dealt with in different committees that, you know, we've all served on um, a lot of finger pointing. This is not the time to be finger pointing. You need to sit in the same room and figure it out and give one piece of guidance regardless of what it is, but that you can all live with. It doesn't mean that you all have to, to agree to it, but you can all live with it and, you know, give us, give us some um, guidance that is, that is uh, systematic and it, it applies. It's something that we can apply to all of our districts. I, and I would agree from our community, um, patience and compassion. You know, my community um, have received a ton of emails. We have not, it's going out today, but we have not put out our online, our remote and our hybrid plans of what that looks like in terms of, of technology and, and how kids are gonna engage in learning. And the reason we haven't done that is is we're trying to think of everything. We're trying to be as proactive as possible. And, you know, people are people are critical of how come you haven't, haven't, you haven't done this yet. And it's not, it's we're trying to be, thoughtful about it. We're trying to figure out pieces so that you don't have that many questions that you can feel comfortable into what we do. And so um, it's not an easy task. Uh, as Kathy said, I think we've had a change on the fly. Uh, we were, Like I said, we were planning on going back. And then I thought, you know, we were going to do the remote and our board decided something different. So we, we had a shift again. And so, you know, all of these shifts, as, as my colleagues have so graciously pointed out, they take time to process. It's not something that you can just snap your fingers and say, okay, it's done tomorrow. And so um, we're trying to be very thoughtful in our decision-making. And so I ask for grace and patience from our community to say, uh, we are trying to lead, we, we, we love all of you. We love our kids. We want to see them back, but we want to also make sure that we're doing it in, in the most equitable way possible. And we're providing an equitable education for all our kids, whether you're sitting in our classrooms or whether you're going to be um, joining us remotely or online. Great. Well, I'd like to thank all of you, and I'd like to thank everyone that's watching this conversation right now. Uh, for today's forum, I'd like to thank Joelle Magyar, Superintendent for Brexville Broadview Heights City School District, Dr. Henry Pettigrew, Superintendent and CEO of East Cleveland City Schools, and Catherine Power, Superintendent of Twinsburg City School District. It was a great conversation, and I really appreciated all of your perspectives and wish you all the best of luck going into the fall. Today's forum was presented in collaboration with the Greater Cleveland School Superintendent Association. It's part of the City Club's Education Innovation series sponsored by the Nordson Corporation Foundation and PNC with additional support from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, the George Gunn Foundation, Key Bank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC, and the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on the website at cityclub.org forward slash thank you. You can join them in supporting their work when you make a contribution or online or become a member at cityclub.org. I am Jenny Hamill. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned. <laughs>